Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that does not endorse the noggin dance to antagonize your opposition. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. This week, my fellow host, Mike, got to chat with Josh Sevier, an ECB Level 3 advanced coach and wicket-keeping specialist. Josh and Mike take a deep dive into their shared passion, the big bad world of wicket-keeping. They discuss the importance of feet movement for keepers, the art of the takes down the leg side, what the best in the business do on a consistent basis, and much, much more. So stay tuned for a fascinating discussion on the art and skills behind one of the most important positions in the game. All right. So thanks for joining, Josh. Uh, let's get started with you. Um, you know, we know that you're an advanced coach certified at uh, ECB level three, uh, but share with us how you got into cricket and wicket keeping specifically. Uh, so it all started the sort of 2005 ashes, I would say. Um, I was about 11 at the time. So I start, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I started relatively late. Um, but that series, I just got hooked on. Um, and then from then on, I just, I needed to play cricket. Um, it was more a case of me just being thrown in with the gloves. Um, I'm a, I grew up in a sort of a musical family. So I'd like to think that my hand-eye coordination was okay. Um, but I remember some horrific days where I let sort of like 30, 40 buys through as a, as a 12 year old. Um, so yeah, it, it, it didn't come sort of naturally. It took a lot of hard graft. Um, and yeah, I was, I've, you know, I've just, I've just played a lot of club cricket since then. Um, never, never was sort of, uh, got the chance to represent sort of district or county level. Um, but to be fair, what I always wanted to achieve was playing sort of Premier League cricket, which I managed to a few years ago. And, you know, I was like, you know what, I've, I think I've done pretty well to get there. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of hard graft, a lot of hard work. Um, but I'd say I'm, yeah, I've, I've really, I've really enjoyed playing my cricket. 
the the coaching side of things has sort of come sort of relatively naturally. I started as a training as a teacher when I was nineteen, um, and so I've got a teaching degree, and I've, I've sort of put two and two together: my love of cricket and my and my you know love of teaching, and try to combine the two. And yeah, but was very fortunate enough to get on to the the level three course um, a year or so ago. And I thought, you know what, I've really got to do something with this um, because it's it's a you know it's not many people get the opportunity to go on it. Um, and then yeah, from my love of wicket keeping and spending all my time behind the behind the sticks trying to catch as many balls as possible, I was like, you know what, it's it's not often you see a someone who's specialised in wicket keeping. So I sort of sought mm-hmm. as many discussions and meetings with wicket keepers, past and present. Um, and coaches who had specialised in uh, wicketkeeping in the sort of professional game. And I've just asked as many questions as I possibly could. And from there, it sort of helped me to create my own sort of coaching um, setup. And yeah, it's, it's gone from sort of strength to strength. Um, I also spent a lot of time on my phone. So Instagram was a perfect spot to, to start with. <laughs> That makes sense. That's that's a fascinating story, and and one thing that's a little bit different from uh, a lot of you know cricket fans or or even you know club cricketers that I interact with is that um, you had to really work on it rather than it coming naturally to you. Because um, from you know generally what I've seen is you start playing with your neighbors, neighboring kids, and all of that, and if you're any good, you start enjoying the game a lot and that's how you develop the passion. But it sounds like that wasn't exactly the story for you. You just, you just were handed the gloves, weren't a natural at it, but somehow just, you know, persistent and uh, got, got into it quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, I remember pestering my dad constantly about just giving me throwdowns. We had this sort of random tennis court in one of the nearby fields and I just get into just throw a couple to me um, as much as I could. Um, but yeah, I, as soon as I got to the, watching the 2005 Ashes, sort of everything, everything sort of clicked in the pace. I was like, this is the game that I want to play. Um, just the whole atmosphere and the, the energy. You know, we were even allowed to watch it at school. Like they brought out a, a TV on wheels and pushed it into the hall where we could watch it at break <laughs> times. Um, which, you know, apart from a sort of, football world cup you wouldn't ever see it um that sort of thing happened so yeah it was it i knew it was a big occasion and yeah ever since then i've just sort of obsessed over it um you know probably batting batting wise i've obsessed too much over it to the point where i um criticize myself to the nearest detail about my technique um (laughs) i'm sure a lot of people do um but yeah keeping i've just i've never really felt like that i've just always enjoyed it and always just loved being behind the glo- being behind the sticks with the gloves on. That's great to hear. Um, so, as a, as a wicketkeeper myself, I actually similar story. I, I used to uh, play cricket back in India, growing up in New Delhi, and uh, I used to go to this academy where uh, I was usually the opening batsman or batting at one down. And um, you know, just it so happened that one of the times our wicketkeeper was injured just a day before a game and they were like hey who wants to do it and I just raised my hand and um, again I don't think I was naturally gifted but I really enjoyed it so I just kept at it and now I'm honestly I look forward to keeping more than I look forward to batting sometimes so it's it's just one of those things um, 
which you know has grown on me. Um, but speaking of you know technicalities around keeping, one of the things that I was taught at that young age was how sort of you have to you know make sure your uh, legs move a lot more. You cover ground with your legs more than hands because um, especially at a young age, there's a tendency to dive and try to catch balls and, and things like that. Um, would you agree with that uh, sort of guidance? Uh, personally, I so the, the way I work things in terms of movement is when when you're stood up to the stumps, there are two fundamental movements. Uh, you, one is your leg side shuffle, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, and the second is a very small step to the offside with your with your outside foot. So if you're if you're batting to a if you're keeping to a right hander. Your right foot can take a little step in order to reach further. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, what I found is that you can keep your movements efficient um, and keep it to just those two if you're in a good enough base where you can distribute your weight. So the key thing for me, I would say, in terms of wicket keeping is our head and hands. If our head is in line with the ball and our hands are there as well, our chance of catching that ball is going to be significantly greater. And with our weight distributing, we've got a nice solid base and we're able to rock our weight onto either our left foot or our right foot, the the ground you can actually cover is quite significant. So I can be over here with all of my weight on on my right leg and still be able to reach a ball that's on the tram lines to the wide line. But the same, if I go the other way, I can catch balls that are just past the leg stump without actually having to move. And that's where I, I talk about starting on that fourth, fifth stump line where you can, right. st- you can still comfortably see what's going on. Um, I think a lot of people sort of get quite critical about um, that starting position. But unless a batter is stood on off stump or even past off stump um, when you will need to move a little bit, other than that, that's a great place to start. Um, and it means that leg side movement is reduced because you, you're you already, you know, you're close to the stumps anyway. So the amount of movement you have to make isn't that great. But also you've got enough room to be able to cover that, cover that offside cleanly. Um, and yeah, everything else works with weight distribution and keeping your head and hands working together. Stood back, um, probably slightly different. Um, but I reckon the the amount of sidestepping that that keepers do um i think is starting to become less because we're starting to realize that keeping is like another athletic fielding position where you know you wouldn't see someone at cover sidestep to get a to get across to a ball that they need to cover a fair bit of ground and the same with us um i do a, a bit of work where you know, I start with a, a keeper on a cone and they've got to just try and get across this ball as quickly as possible. And you'll find is that they actually just turn and run. And again, the same the principle's the same. If we turn and run, but our head and hands are working together, you're going to catch that ball. So I'd say stood up, efficiency is key. I think we, there's a lot of things to think about when we're stood up. And if we're shuffling unnecessarily, we're using a lot of energy which in a 50 over game or more you know we need to conserve as much as we can um and stood back 
yes, probably feet movement is useful. Um, by all means, we've got to get there. But I'd say the way we do it now is starting to change where it's not just sidestep, sidestep, sidestep. Sidestep mm -hmm. by all means when we need to, but we're also looking to get in our sort of athletic positions where if we need to turn and go to get to somewhere, we just turn and go. Yeah. And, and so that reminds me of Quinton de Kock. Um, you know, I've noticed, especially when he's standing back, that he is, uh, like you described, not somebody who's doing side-by-side -side steps a lot. He has, you know, optimized um, uh, steps that he takes. And then he's obviously quite agile. He's, you know, pretty gifted in that sense. And he's diving full length sometimes to take uh, edges and, and so on, both on the offside and on, on down the leg side as well. Um, so I, I guess that's, that's what your recommendation would be to a youngster as well. Like try to find that right optimal step size where then you can also use diving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say Quinton de Kock is a bit of a, he's, he's got, he's a bit of an anomaly because he is so athletic. Um, right. and he stands very tall, um, almost without any sort of squat, sort of any sort of power position, um, because that seems to work for him. He's also quite short, so it work it works quite nicely anyway. Um, but yeah, the there are some times where his when his movements are spot on and his trigger is great, he's absolutely brilliant because he sets himself just as the bowler's releasing the ball. The times where almost he produces his best work um, is also the times where he's in his worst positions, if that makes sense. So there'll be a couple of times where he will take an absolute screamer, but it will be because he hasn't got into a set position um, until the ball is even pitched or it's just past the bat. So he's got to throw himself across to the mm -hmm. right and left um, in order to get there. Um, whereas if he'd set a little bit earlier, he probably would have been able to make it, well, look a little bit easier, if that makes sense. Um but when he does get it right, and I suppose the, the key thing is probably our talking about our set position, which is when we get into a, a position which is powerful enough to be able to push off in any direction and to be able to move wherever we need to go. If we can set and be in that position by the time the bowler's just about to release the ball, we're in a great position to be able to catch that ball. The difficulty will come when we are late to that movement and we're late to that base because we then have to react quickly and we don't all have the reactions and the agility as, as Quinta de Kock does. So yeah, if, right. we can, if we can set ourselves just upon that ball release, um, you get yourself in a great position to be able to move wherever you need to go. Yeah, that's, that's really well put. Um, and I think that's uh, something I've noticed in club cricket as well, that if as a keeper, I'm thinking of, oh, maybe the field should have been this, maybe we can make this change. And I'm, you know, I'm not 100% focused on my bit, then I don't get into that position and end up diving to stop a ball, which, you know, I might do just fine and, and I might actually get appreciated for that. But I later on, I realized, well, I should have walked and gotten, gotten to that without having to dive. Um, so having to get to that position. Um, now, let's also talk about the leg side shuffle. Um, I recently saw you doing some drills with some young keepers you were working with. Um, uh, and I, I found this super interesting because one of the things you mentioned is the hands need to go first. Uh, so walk us through this drill and why that needs to happen first, why the opposite foot goes the second, um, and how does that help with balance? 
Okay, so we're looking at uh, taking it. So it's a one-handed drill going down the leg side. Um, we do we do this one-handed mainly because with our right hand, if we're going um, down the leg side to a right-handed bat, it means that we can focus on keeping that palm facing the ball. And ideally, mm -hmm. we want to make sure that both palms are facing the ball at all times because it means that our catching surface area is big. Therefore, we're able to catch the ball with greater success, even if it is not perfectly in, in our gloves. So we look at going right hand um, down the leg side to the right-handed bat. The reason we stay nice and still uh, is we can catch the ball whilst we're stable, which I think is very important because our, our eyes are level there and our eyes are still. Um, if we move all at once, you run the risk of catching the ball whilst on the move and it adds an element of difficulty to it because everything is moving at the same time. And if your head's moving up and down at the same time, it's going to make that catching a lot more difficult because you can't focus on the ball. The reason we also don't move is if we move too soon, the usually it's the batter that is the person that gets in the way. And you'll find that you'll, you'll go, but you'll actually spend more time being blocked by the batter than you would if you stayed still and took a little bit more time to go with those hands in order to watch that ball almost just past the just past the batter so you're then able to watch it pitch wh which line it needs to go and then your hands can go we talked about weight distribution before so our weight can start to shuffle across to the leg side and then we've caught that ball from there we're looking to really snap across so just as we've, as we've caught it, that's when our feet catch up with us. We want to try and go as far across as possible. So if we think about where, if our head's starting on that fourth, fifth stump line, then our left foot's probably, unless you're you know six foot three like me and it starts you know outside, almost outside leg stump, um, your, your foot's probably going to be on about middle, middle and leg. We want our right foot to zip past that and go past and end up sort of past leg stump. And it works on a sort of, if our right foot goes, our left foot starts to follow. The reason for this is for, if our left foot starts to go first, what you'll end up doing is you'll end up being in a base, which is actually quite wide. And that mm. makes it more difficult to move. And then you end up just either taking one step and then really reaching across or you get in a difficult space where your, your stance is too wide and your, your body's almost fighting you trying to get across, which is why I talk about with a, the right-handed back, we move our right leg first because it's a nice quick motion. And it's one, it's, it's one that I keep telling the keepers I work with just to practice in the, in the kitchen at home, just that shuffle because it's a nice quick movement. It's, it's nice and swift and it's sharp as well. And then we use the sort of counterbalance of the feet going across um, and joining that with our hands snapping back to the stumps. So it almost works like a pendulum, I think in a way, where our feet come across and then as our feet come across, our hand comes back to the stumps. And then it, you know, it turns into a very sort of um, <laughs> cricket style dance. But I think <laughs> it, seems to, it seems to work really well that we're giving ourselves just a little bit more time to watch that ball on the offside, 
getting our getting our weight across and then our hands and then as soon as we caught it snapping back to the stumps while while shuffling across the the reason i talk about shuffling as far as we can it means it will it will also help with our reach because if we go all that way we're able to go just that little bit further whereas if we do a very short step the reach that your arms will be able to take is actually a lot less um, what I've noticed in a lot of keepers is they have a little step. If we're talking about our right, uh, our right-handed bat, they have a little step with their left foot, um, ever so small, just to sort of get the get the motion going. And I've been trying to sort of I've been speaking to a couple of keeping coaches about this, um, about you know is is the small step okay? And I reckon if if you got a little step with your left foot initially. It's absolutely fine. The difficulty is when, like I said, if our base becomes too wide, we're then stuck. Um, and probably another reason why I talk about being in a sort of a solid base and a nice squat position when stood up to the stumps, um, where our, our bum sort of sits just above our knees, it allows us to make that motion quickly. Whereas if as soon as our bum sits below our knees, we're in a position where we have to firstly get out of in order to then move. If that makes sense. Um, that's why I'm. I I don't like. Um, maybe don't like to. Maybe a too strong a word. But um, let's take let's take pant for example. Um, sits with quite a almost similar to de Kock actually. Um, sits very low. His his knees are here and his bums down here. And what that will the tendency for that is that your weight ends up falling backwards. And your weight then falls onto your heels. And the only way to get out of that position is by moving into your power position, your squat, where you're then able to move. And so the way I go about things is, well, can we start in that power position in order to make our movements as, again, as efficient as possible so we're not having to work more than we need to in order to get the ball? Sorry, that was quite a long-winded answer for leg side tape. <laughs> went into setup a bit. Um, but yeah, I think the key things for going just one hand first, palm faces the ball, even when our, when we're really having to rotate our wrist, we stay on that offside for as long as possible. Weight distribution allows us to get, to make a nice bit of reach across. And then as we bring our feet across, that's when we snap back to the stumps. So even the, the taking the balls back to the ball, back to the stump will be nice and sharp as well. So it's a bit of a bit of a package deal. No, that that's, that's some really good points there, and I, I want to sort of, you know, go into detail into a couple of those. So, firstly, the hip position where you mentioned, you know, shouldn't be too low. So that's your recommendation of it being not lower than the knees when you're standing up, or both, like even when you're standing back. I would I would say it's both. Um, standing back, we probably don't need a squat as deep. Right. So I've I've found that oh you know I the last game I played they the club had a camera so I was you know scrolling through my couple of bits and I yeah I found that I actually stand you know I don't sit in a massive squat position where it's you know almost my my uh, quads are almost uh, horizontal I probably sit a little bit taller than that um, a bit like how a goalkeeper would. But I think stood back, that's absolutely fine. Because like we said, you're in a 
you're in an athletic fielding position there. You know, right. uh, your main goal is to catch that ball. And if you need to move, you just need to move. Whereas stood up, we need to get ourselves a little bit lower in order to rise with that ball. But it doesn't need to be as uh, it doesn't need to be as mobile, if that makes sense, as being mm-hmm. stood back would be, um, because our movements are considerably less. Like I said before, we've got that leg side shuffle, and then we've got that little step to the offside. Um, therefore, we need to sit a little bit lower in order to rise with that ball, because that is our main aim when we're stood up to the stumps. So, yeah, I'd say if we can keep if we can keep our our hips just above the the knee um, in everything, I think we're, we're you're getting yourselves in a good position to be able to move and to be able to collect that ball wherever it is. I think there's a there's a mis- sorry there's a misconception with um, starting in that position and then people going well you know it's going to be too far especially stood back it's there's going to be it's going to be too far to get down to the floor it's not hard to get down to the floor from that position because number one you can just reach if you reach a little bit further your hands end up touching the floor anyway um, and also if you need to get somewhere low you just fall. Because gravity works brilliantly for that, um, and I yeah I I think it's a a misconception that we need to start all the way to the floor when we're stood back. Whereas naturally, what you'll find is that the ball carries to about between knee and hip height almost consistently. You know, and if it doesn't, then obviously we've got to change, and you'll go a little bit lower or a little bit higher depending on where the carry is. Um, but starting off in that base where we're in a powerful position, ready to catch that ball at about knee height, I think we're able to adapt to wherever that ball goes from there. Sorry, that right. was, again, going into... <laughs> no, that's great. Um, and, and one thing I'll, I'll mention I've personally noticed is uh, growing up in India, I used to play on turf wickets, which did not bounce a lot. And there I actually felt very comfortable with my, you know, uh, with my bum down pretty low. But as I started playing on uh, artificial turf in the U.S. where it bounces a lot more, uh, I've realized that I don't need to stay as low. So I think it's also, you know, being aware of your conditions and just getting a feel of things and adjusting. Um, Obviously, there's no absolutely right answer. Uh, It always depends on how comfortable you are in going up versus down. Um, and, and I think that that adjustment should just come within a couple of overs of, you know, fielding on a new pitch or, or a new turf. Um, the other aspect, which is definitely worth, um, you know, talking in more detail about is the size of the stride, because I think that's where I have uh, realized I struggled. So similar to your point about one of the recent games you played, which had a camera, I played a game recently where one of the opposition teams was also recording and I looked back and I realized that while I was doing a good job of collecting the ball on the leg side, I was falling over when I did that. Um, so I wouldn't give any buys, but if the batsman had stepped out, I would struggle to, you know, bring that ball back to the stumps for a stumping opportunity. And it was mostly because my my left foot for a right-hander was going first and it was taking a big stride and then I was kind of stuck. So having that smaller step that makes sense because then your center of gravity is just better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think shuffling and leading with your right foot allows you to, what you'll find is that 
the position you started with and you started in, which is nice and balanced, if you lead with your right foot, you'll end up in that exact position on the leg side, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So you end up yeah. actually going from here to there. That's that's pretty much the movement. You're going from here, shuffle, and you're there. Um, and I think, yeah, if I think the delaying of the the shuffle across also helps with a bit of balance. Um, like I said, if you're if you're moving all at the same time, then you can get yourself into some tricky positions. Whereas if we can get there and then snap across, um, everything just seems to be a little bit more balanced. Um, but yeah, I, it's a again, it's it's a it's a good thing to. I was doing oddly. I was doing it this afternoon, just working on just shuffling across, you know, just shadowing <laughs> someone being there. Um, and yeah, I, I think as long as you're you keep your head driving forwards, I think that's another thing where leg side it can happen quite often where we'll find that we'll find we're in that base and our heads driving forward to start with but then as we go down leg our head starts to rise as do our hands whereas if we can keep our head driving forwards and staying nice and low with that ball we're going to be in a much better position to be able to catch it um i think that's probably the the thing that where people struggle the most working leg side is staying nice and level because we want to work on almost a single a single plane where we're just working ourselves across literally from where we were over there staying in the same position um is the difficulty is as soon as we start to rise as we come across and we end up working sort of upwards we start right. to see where that ball is our hands start to rise and then that's when the that's when well we're fortunate unfortunate enough in this league that anything down leg side is wide so it stops being my problem anyway but you know for times where it's it i'm not as lucky and they are given as buys and things like that it's usually because people's heads will rise and their hands will just start to lift up and that's when the ball goes underneath yeah that's a great point i, I had not thought too much about the head position uh but that's that's really well put it it makes sense that if you're if you're you know sort of standing up almost um then your rest of the body is going to react in a similar manner and your hands are going to be off position as well um let's also talk about the hands um so you know i i've seen a lot of videos of uh, wicket keepers collecting the ball you know a while behind the stumps and then moving it forward um that you know that's been what has been traditionally taught but i think more and more keepers are now trying to collect the ball very close to the stump so that there's that you know if even if it's a microsecond that they get um you know there's that extra microsecond to take the bails off without the batsman having a chance to uh, come back so i've seen sarah taylor do it um in fact sarah taylor has a tendency of collecting throws in front of the wicket as well which is something that the late uh, bob woolmer used to talk about to try and save time and i've uh, seen a little bit of ms dhoni do it as well um so what are your thoughts on this and you know if you think that's the right approach how do you think tra- uh, keepers should train for it so i'm a i'm a big advocate for no give um i think it yeah like you say it's it's been a thing that's been traditionally coached um but i don't know if anyone's really gone into the reason as to why um whenever i speak to people about give and they believe that there should be give they base it upon well you know we're we're soft, softening the impact of the ball but 
we're catching a, a five and a half ounce leather ball here. You know, it's not, it's not a bowling ball or anything like that. You know, there's a, there's enough, there's enough, uh, sort of movement that will naturally happen in our arms when we catch that ball. I always, I always say that our elbows sort of act as a, a bit like a suspension on a bike where we catch that ball and naturally there's going to be a little movement, but it's not, you know, all the way back here, that it's just unnecessary. So yeah, I'm a big advocate for no give. Um, it's yeah, I, the, there's no real need for it stood up, I would say, or to be fair, stood back. Um, especially in England, when we're looking at swinging conditions, we want to be able to watch that ball all the way into our gloves and keeping our hands out in front of our eyes and watching it in is the best thing for that. I think as soon as you catch the ball and go here, your timing has to be so specific that if you, if you go off a little bit and you're moving back before that ball's being caught, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So I teach no give when we're stood back, no give when we're stood up. Like you say, it means that the distance back to the stumps is minimal. We almost want to be catching if we imagine that there's a line that goes just behind the stumps that goes from, you know, square leg to point. We want to be catching on that line wherever we go. So no matter how wide it is, we want to catch on that line. As soon as we start to turn and we start to give, the distance back to the stump starts to increase. Right. And in order to, especially at a, looking at a professional level where we want to, you know, in, de decrease the amount of time between catch and stumps, then it makes perfect sense for us to keep nice strong hands, catch out in front of our eyes, which again is another thing. I looked at the, um, the is it Verena, the South African keeper in the most recent mm -hmm. match with England? He did a stumping off Stuart Broad, um, I think it was, and he's caught it underneath his chin. He's caught it here. And the difficulty with that is your the key moment where you catch the ball, he's lost it because he can't see underneath his chin unless he, he moves his head quite dramatically. Right. So that's why I talk a lot about catching out in front of our eyes. And as you know, Sarah Taylor did it did it brilliantly. You know, she spoke about strong hands. And it's as it's as simple as your hands are there, and then all you do when the ball comes is you close them. There doesn't need to be anything else. There doesn't need to be any any mass give. All you do when the ball comes, you close your thumbs. The way I train this um, is I do a lot of tennis ball and inners work because with that, as soon as you start pushing towards that tennis ball, it will pop out. So we're eliminating hard hands there. And then I'm trying to focus on, right, can we keep our wrists nice and strong in order to... Uh, take all of that sort of the kinetic energy away from that ball and then all we've got to do close our thumbs i do a lot of work with weighted balls as well in order to keep our wrists nice and strong um, and then what i usually do is add i've got a um, they're initially for sort of quad resistance but i put one of them around um, the keeper's outside forearm and then put another one around one of the poles on the nets and then we focus on catching and then driving back to the stumps. So then we're trying to speed up that movement as well. So we go from, you know, giving a lot to going back and then forwards to going catch, bang. 
it literally is a movement where we're catching our hands, catching the ball here, and then it's a direct movement either left or right, and it should be a lot quicker than going back. I think I've, I hope I've answered the question there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have, you have. Um, no, it's really well explained. Um, I guess one thing I'll ask further on that is you mentioned the line from square leg to point, which is where you know our hands should be ideally. Um, I've seen Australian keepers in particular where they open up you know their outside foot and they allow the hands to rotate a little bit just to adjust to the bounce. Um, do you think that's still a good idea just to adjust to the bounce, even if we still try to, you know, maintain that line? Absolutely. Um, I think there's a, there's a, a big role to play in your, in your outside foot going back. Cause what that will do is that will open up this shoulder and just drive mm. the shoulder back ever so slightly, which gives your arms a little bit more freedom. I find that when keepers get themselves sort of into sort of awkward positions, it's usually to do with our elbows not being free. And if we're stuck up here, yeah. our elbows are stuck in, I call this like T-Rex arms. We end up being in this position <laughs> where we can't actually move. So if we drop this shoulder and drop that out, that outside foot, I think I've got on my Instagram, I think I've got a, a couple of drills where we're looking at that and taking up, taking one-handed takes up here. Again, I love a one-handed take, especially with the, with the wrong hand, so to speak. Because if we're catching our, if we're able to catch balls to our that are near our right shoulder with our left hand, it's going to be super easy when we got two hands there. Um, so yeah, we were looking at sort of one-handed drills, catching up by your right shoulder with your left hand. If you can work on just getting that right foot back and that just opening up that shoulder a little bit while still being able to drive your head forwards, I think that's the key thing. If we can still have our head driven forwards rather than sort of standing and everything everything rocking back, right. we'll get ourselves into a great position. But absolutely, I think there's no issue with sort of opening up a little bit in order to um, accommodate for the bounce because, like I said, we want to be able to free our elbows up as much as we can. Yeah. And just moving that shoulder back and that foot back will allow us to still catch the ball in front of our eyes because that's what we want to do. But free those elbows so we're actually able to continue that range of motion with our arms. That makes sense. Um, finally, also uh, wondering, you know, about collecting balls at an awkward height. Yeah. Um, now, this is something that I feel like I've seen Rishabh Pant in particular, and he's, you know, he's an extraordinary batsman, but clearly his keeping is still in development. So, um, you know, I've seen him sort of pointing his fingers sometimes at the bowler, sometimes up, sometimes down, and just it just uh, gets awkward, uh, especially in India when where some sometimes the wickets for spinners can just bounce a little bit extra. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? At what position should we should keepers start pointing up versus down? I know pointing towards the bowler is always the wrong answer because you're decreasing your surface area. You're probably also opening up yourself to more injuries. But um, what about up versus down? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you're absolutely right. As soon as, soon as we start pointing our fingers towards the ball, that's when things can go wrong. Um, and that's how a lot of injuries are, are created by getting hit on the end of the fingers. Um, right. It's a good question. I, so I was just talking about that, that one-handed drill up by, our, up by our shoulder, especially to the spinners. And, you know, even then we're trying to, sort of keep our fingers down, so to speak, where our, our fingers are ended up sort of pointing more towards the offside. But 
I think the, the main thing is maintaining that presentation and keeping our hand, both of our palms facing the ball. And I think as, as much as you can drill it, as soon as you get to a game, it becomes a different, a different beast. You right. know, your, your job when you're playing a, a, you know, a club fixture or an international fixture is to catch the ball. And if your brain suddenly goes right, it's, you know, chest high, boom, stood up, fingers up, but you've caught it. It's absolutely fine. Um, I think a lot of times as well, if I'm stood up to the stumps against a seamer, if the mm-hmm. ball's bouncing up to my sort of, you know, chest neck height and I'm, but I'm in my set position and I, all I have to do is put my fingers up and catch it there. I'd probably much rather do that because it means that it means that I don't actually have to move as much. I can still watch it, but I'm right. going from there to there, which seems like a bit of a win rather than having to sort of raise my whole body up in order to catch that ball. So it's, a, yeah, it's, it's one of those, I think you'll find that whilst we probably try and try and coach to keep fingers down, maybe a little bit more than going fingers up when we're stood up to the sumps, for example, um, when it comes to a game, it's all about how big can our hand presentation be? And if it, if it means yeah. that our movements can be slightly more efficient with our fingers up and our, and our, both of our hands pointing towards the ball, then so be it. But at the end of the day, like I say, in a game, our job is to catch the ball. And if we've caught it with our fingers up, fine. Lovely. That's um, well said, Josh. And thank you so much for your time. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot in this conversation and uh, especially the leg side drill where you talked about going with the wrong foot. That's definitely something I'm going to be practicing um, in the off season and, and trying to get that perfected. But um, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm sure, um, you know, I, I can talk wicket keeping all day, so I'm sure I'll find another reason to bring you back on if you have the time. And um, thanks for joining. Oh, absolute pleasure. Yeah, please do. I'd love to come back and talk about keeping. Always. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Last Wicket. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny, Mayank, Nish, and Himanish. For more details, please visit thelastwicket.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate, and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening, and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.